0: We're talking about uh, the well-stoppers, the things that actually uh, stop the flow, the, the power that's in you because of the Spirit of God. I want you to go back to Acts chapter 1. and Let's just look at some of the words that Jesus said before he was taken up to heaven. We'll just look at uh, verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, don't be focused on that, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and in the ends of the earth. Turn to somebody and tell them you'll receive power. Now we understand that this is dunamis, explosive power, displacement power. And when God begins to move, the power of God will find sin and displace it with righteousness. It'll find sickness and displace it with heathen and divine life and health. It will find bondage and it will displace it with liberty and freedom and deliverance. It will find poverty and it will you know, replace it and displace it with provision and abundance and life that God has for His people. Anything that goes contrary to the Word of God into the covenant, that power will move in there and displace it. Aren't you glad you're on the right side of this thing? I want you to go to uh, Luke chapter 4 and just see that... Uh, when you're talking about the contents of the well, you're you're talking about a lot of things that in other ways you could describe it or call it. It's important for you to see this thing, uh, you know, as a, as a unified concept. Another word we could use is the anointing, but sometimes words are used so often and religiously they lose their meaning to us and force to us. Um, we are anointed of God. I mean, there was a time when, when a Christian would say, I'm anointed of God. They'd want to stone you immediately for saying such a thing. You say, why? Because when Jesus said that he was the anointed, when well, that's exactly what they wanted to do to him. But it shouldn't come as a surprise to you that on you and in you is something that is permanent, amen, it's supernatural. It's life-changing for you and life-changing for those that are around you. And uh, what's happening in these last days, and I thank God that uh, we've all had the, the new birth. I thank God that we've all had some instruction on the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the things of the Spirit. I thank God that we uh, have gotten where we are. But the Spirit of God is now dropping revelation into the body of Christ for these last days that takes that revelation and understanding to an entirely new level. Because what we have to do, we don't have a lot of time left to do it in. We don't have another 40 years for training. Amen. You may not realize this, but in this room right now are some of the best trained people in the body of Christ. You think of yourselves as going to seminaries and going to formal levels of instruction and around the world, but, you know, when somebody gets born again, for example, in Ecuador, it's just a matter of a few months to a year. They're out there planting churches themselves. In America, we sit and we sit and we feast and we sit and we feast and we sit and we feast and we sit and we receive and we sit and we receive and we sit. And after a while, it's just nauseating to think about that you and I are crammed full of revelation, a very small amount that we're actually using. But in this uh, church, that's, that's not the way it's going to be, amen? amen? That what's in you is powerful. And according to the Word of God, the same thing that to operate in Jesus' life is in your life today in verse 14 of Luke 4. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. How did he do it? So he's not operating in his divinity here. He's operating in the power of the Spirit, and news about Him spread through the whole countryside. Why was news spreading? Because what was in the well was coming out. And it was touching lives and changing lives and healing bodies and bringing deliverance. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised Him. He went to Nazareth, where He had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, He went into the synagogue, as was His custom, everybody say custom, habit, This is what godly people do. They go to church. And you might be thinking, well, he went to Nazareth. That is not a safe place for Jesus to go. And then to make this announcement of all announcements there. No, this is a life-threatening situation for him. And yet he still went to church, moving right along. (laughs) And he stood up and read, The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and enrolling, it, he found the place where it is written, Aren't you glad Jesus knew where it was written? You and I need to know where it's written. We need to know what the Word of God says in the days that we're living in To be proficient, to, to be you know, a person who is able to rightly divide the Word, to you know, pick up the sword and wield it with skill, and, and wield it with, with great understanding and boldness and conviction, it's a wonderful thing to have. And it says that he read, "...the Spirit of the Lord is on me." The spirit of what? The that's the same thing that's on and in you. Amen. So when you hear these words, you say "Me too." Me too. Let's practice say me too. "Me too." The spirit of the Lord is on me. Me too, me too because He's anointed me. Me too, to preach good news to the poor. Me too. Me too. Come on, you say it. "Me too." Bless me too. God. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Me too. Me too, me too and recover a sight for the blind. Don't choke on that. Say, me too. Me too. To release the oppressed. Me too. Me too. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Me too. Me too. Now, if you were reading in Isaiah 61, you'd find out that Jesus stopped quoting there, and he didn't talk about vengeance, which is the next context there, the next concept, because that's not the day that we're in. Amen. We're not in throwing people under a bus and running them over and throwing them away. We're not in... The judgment mode here, and that's not even our job. Now, I understand what I'm saying to you. We judge sin. We have to call sin what, Bible, what the Bible says is sin. But as far as, you know, proclaiming somebody's eternal destiny and judging them on the basis of what we think is right and wrong, we don't have that authority. We're not in that mode. What are we in? We're in the favor mode. That's right. Come on, say me too. me too. So wherever we go, we have to understand that there's a message here to proclaim, to preach something but also the power to demonstrate what is preached. Inside of you right now, say me too. Inside of you today is the, the revelation of what to preach. Aren't you glad you know a lot about what Jesus came to do and what he's doing and what he's able to do in us and through us? We have the power to proclaim, to, you know, you communicate that, but we also have the power to demonstrate. Say it with me, communicate and demonstrate. With what? With the, with the Holy Spirit, with the anointing. Now, to anoint means to, to rub, to smear in. You could, you could be anointed with motor oil. Look at somebody and say, I'll pass on that. Thank you very much. You could be anointed with butter. Last night I made a wonderful steak for my wife and I anointed it with butter. Yes, I did. She likes that, she likes that garlic butter, so I anointed it for her. Hallelujah. <laughs> You could be you could be, you know, anointed, you know, with with you know Crisco or vegetable oil. You could be anointed literally with what? With olive oil, yes. But the thing that he is anointed with and the thing that you are anointed with is the person of the Holy Spirit. And I have mentioned this before when I think about Moses and David and I think about Elijah and Elisha, and I think about you know, Joshua and I think about all that Joseph accomplished in terms of his anointing to lead and to manage and to govern. They all did that with a temporary and limited outpouring. Jesus is the one that introduces the concept of the man of God that has a spirit without limitation. That's not to tell you that you can't have. It's to tell you who you really are. So what's inside of you now is not temporary. Do you realize that? The Holy Spirit will never depart your life. The Holy Spirit will one day depart this world, as we understand in times and the chain of events, but not you. You will never be away from the presence of God the rest of your existence. And how you understand that if you have his presence, you also have his power. So the power of God is present to do the things that he has communicated here. And that's where the switch has to be, the mindset has to be, that not only is he moving away from super apostles and moving away from, you know, you know, performance, you know, ministry and come to my tent meeting and come to my meeting because we got it together and God's using us, to where the believer understands they are the wells. And wherever you go, you're anointed. Come on, declare it. Wherever I go, I'm anointed. Say, wherever I go, I'm anointed. You didn't do it. He did it. But it's high time that what he did, we start acknowledging what he did and walking in what he did for the benefit of others all around us, because there's still an awful lot of people that need the gospel preached to them because they're poor. If you think about it, they're still in bodies, they're still in prison, their eyes still do not see the truth of God, and boy, they sure do need the favor of God. We live in a world of disfavor. I'm so glad we're blessed people. Yes. Because we're blessed, we have the power to excel, to increase, to succeed. But because of the favor, we also have the opportunity and the open doors to do it. It's a wonderful thing to be born again spirit-filled. Well, let me tell you where God's taking you in the next, you know, 30 days or so. He's taking you to a deeper understanding and appreciation of the gifts that are in you as a spirit-filled Christian. I want you to start celebrating who you are. It's about time as a Pentecostal, you stop, you know, hanging your head down low as if you're something strange or weird in this culture. It wasn't strange in the early church. In this church speaking, the born-again evangelicals who are spiritful, you are the future of this nation. You are the hope of this nation because of what you're allowing in your life and through your life. Not to but you know, you know, say that uh, the rest of the body of Christ is somehow in fear, that's not the point. But a lot of them are so busy rejecting the plain teachings of scripture that those that uh, accept it are gonna stand out in great revelation. Amen. Listen carefully to what the Spirit of God is saying tonight. In great revelation and great demonstration, you will go forth in the coming days, weeks, and months, and years. In coming days, weeks, and months, and years, you will see in Scripture the truth, but you will demonstrate what you see. You will operate in my truth, and you will operate in my power, and you will see things never before seen in the earth. You'll see the quantity and the quality never before seen. So rejoice and be glad. The Lord has great plans for you, The Lord has a great future to hope for you. The Lord intends to use you. You are my people. You are my wells. What I put inside of you is, of course, permanent, and it is powerful, and it will always abide in you. You receive what God has for you. Shout out, "Me me too. You want a me too movement? There's a me too movement for you, bless God. Come on, said I'm part of the Me Too movement. And that's what's coming for you, is, is, is great understanding about how this works. Um, and it, it ties in very, very nicely tonight with one of the things that, that stops up the well. And the devil's had spirit-filled Christians in bondage about this for a very long time. And, and many in the body of Christ even not just tempted to move away from the things of the Spirit, but, uh, you know, stop emphasizing the things of the Spirit. Uh, once you uh, either drive out, ignore, or duct tape the Holy Spirit and throw them in the back room, you limit how much transformation you can actually have. It's no surprise the body of Christ is in the anemic state that it's in because you can't, uh, you can't uninvite the guest of honor and then expect to have power in your life or through your life. We wanted a, a New Testament expression, a new paradigm kind of church in America where we didn't have to do anything, say anything, sign anything, give anything, and we certainly didn't want to get out there on the edge, you know, possibly being ridiculed for what we are. If someone's not ridiculing you for your spirituality, you're probably not doing it right. Are you here? Yeah, when you go to Walmart and you find out that it was $5 and it's $5 instead of $10 and you say, praise the Lord, you should get dirty looks. Amen. Amen. Yes, (laughs) Yes, amen. Uh, When you're under pressure and what's inside of you comes out and you don't care who's around you, um, I'm trying to think of, you know, any men that might have been here when we actually had a softball team, that was another lifetime. <laughs> uh, I don't even know who we were praying uh, playing. We were praying, too, yeah, because we <laughs> never won. We, we needed more prayer. We needed some intercessors out there on that softball <laughs> and And... Uh, I don't even know who it was. It it might have been St. Leo's, you know, and and St. Leo's didn't care if you came to church one time a year, you had to play for their team. Does that make sense? So they draft all these industrial league players and semi-pros, and they show up for Christmas Eve, and they can play in the summer term, you know. And our team, you actually had to come to church like two or three times a week. You understand what I'm saying? They had to actually come, or they couldn't. And, of course, we, which means we had spiritual giants on the field that couldn't hit the ball. That's what it amounted <laughs> to. We, we had spiritual giants, but they could not play very well. So we had fun. But uh, just to show you how this is, uh, one, of our, um, one of our guys um, caught a ball, made a play of the first base, and he crossed the first base line, chalk line. I just fell down on his face, passed out. Something doing on with his heart. And uh, I know the other team was not a spirit-filled church, that much I can tell you. I can't remember exactly which it was. But his wife jumped out of the stands behind the, uh, you know, the fence, got onto the field, bent down, and then all the other players and people that were from our church and right then and there it was a Holy Ghost prayer meeting. And I remember two things, the intensity with which she prayed and we prayed in the Spirit. Everybody say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. What are you going to do? Are you trying to discern this thing in the natural? No. So we're all praying in the Holy Ghost and I mean she's binding whatever can be bound and loosening whatever can be but I mean praying at the top of our lungs in the Holy Ghost. The second thing I remember is the other team and how they backed away from us like this. It was just... Obvious they're absolutely petrified. (laughs) Well the Lord supernaturally touched him right then and there. I said I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God and the salvation. Now it doesn't mean going out and being stupid with stuff and drawing attention to yourself unnecessarily, but that's different from what's happened right now. There's like a a demonic cap and a religious cap on the spirit-filled Christian in this nation. And those days are over. Come on, say those days are over. In Ephesians 1:19 and Ephesians 3.20, we find out that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or imagine, is in us right now. Come on, shout it out, me too. It's in you. These are two scriptures, Ephesians 1.19 and 20 and Ephesians three twenty. you should have marked up and memorized because it tells you boldly and plainly do you want to know about the nature of what's inside of you? The same spirit and same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you right now. Now when that really hits you at the degree it's going to hit you you won't be able to be silent. And you won't withhold it. And you won't hold back when people are in need because you'll understand that if you release that power, something good is going to happen. If they can raise Jesus from the dead, they can heal anything on this planet. Same spirit. Go a little deeper. That's the same spirit that part of the Red Sea. That's That's the same spirit that was there on the day of creation. Where? It's in you. Now, I can say that a thousand times tonight, but you have to get that by revelation. The same spirit that flung the worlds into existence, it's inside of you, and we're sitting here fretting about whether God can take care of a light bill. Huh? Everything in there. Everything God has ever done in his dealings with man, that same spirit is in you, and it's in me. Tonight, we just have to learn how to walk in Revelation and learn how to unstop it. Some of these things will be natural. They'll be in the soulish realm. Some of these things that we need to learn are in the spiritual realm. But I want to deal with a few things that might be more soulish in nature or more natural in nature. In Genesis 26, we find out that uh, you know Isaac had an issue with people trying to either steal his wells or stop up his wells. But how many you know when you're a man or woman of God, if they stop up your well, you just go over here and dig another one? Fifteen feet away and you'll spring water. Hallelujah. Because where? The source is not some natural ground or something. But I want you to understand that our problem today is not somebody else stopping up our wells. It's you and me stopping up our wells. We're capping ourselves. Now, the Bible does tell us that, uh, you know, we're... We're destroyed for our lack of knowledge. That's part of it. Our, our ignorance certainly can do that. But look at somebody I say, at Hope Harbor, you can't claim ignorance. Come on, say, it. it's not ignorance. It's not and that doesn't mean stupid. It means without knowledge. That's all it means. Someone that doesn't have knowledge. Well, we have been under the word long enough and among the things of the Spirit Long enough. Do you know there are churches within uh, the A.G. churches within, you know, charismania in general across the spectrum that can go years without a tongue or interpretation, years without a prophecy, years and decades without a soul, years and years without somebody being baptized? How is that possible? Because you can believe something and not practice it. Something can be in your, in your bylaws, something can be on the wall as a doctrine, but if you don't make up your mind that you're going to not just believe something but walk this out, it can, can become the same thing to you, a piece of paper. Yes. Amen. Uh, do you know what, why the YMCA was created? Does anybody know what the letters YMCA mean? I'm not talking about the song by the village people. I mean the real purpose. Young men's <laughs> crisp What? Christian Association. And that's where uh, basically I did most of my working out as a swimmer. We were associated with the YMCA and most of the time in the water through the years. Most of the time I practiced in that particular pool. And I can tell you what the charter says. And it was intentional. We wanted to, you know, on purpose influence young men for the gospel. You know what happened over time? It became nothing more than a plaque on that wall in that building. Eventually, the Park District and Carbondale bought out that facility. It's not even a YMC anymore. And around the country, you'll still find some good ones. But the bottom line is, just because somebody has a nice framed you know, picture with glass on the wall that says, this is what our mission is, that does not mean they're keeping it. Are you here? And just because the full gospel church says we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean they're preaching it and doesn't mean they're seeing it. Amen. A Sunday, if you don't know somebody who's received the baptism or they're not proficient in tongues, make sure they're here. I'm going to preach on tongues until everybody in this building is filled with the Holy Ghost and just bursting out and just walking around blessed of God. And for those that don't have information, they're going to receive a mini book Sunday morning on how to receive. So make sure you know somebody that is, is you know, they're, they're actually hungry for more. I mean, you have to be hungry and thirsty for more. If you're saved and you got all you want, then just you know, there's nothing we can do for you. But if you want more of God, there's more out there. There's always more of God. The more of His presence, more of His goodness, more of His power. So, and without apology. Yes, that's right. Amen. Because it's not, it's not the devil, it's not the world, it's not religion that's stopping up our wells. Amen. Certainly, the schemes can be demonic or religious in nature, but you and I have to agree with those things. I'm just going to give, uh, you know, got into a little bit last week, but there's the four big ones that I want to zero in on one tonight with the time that I have. One is selfishness. It means we live our days, you know, completely focused. Get this little microphone that will obey tonight so focused on ourselves that we don't even sense the urging or the prompting to do something in terms of releasing our faith and releasing the Spirit of God to to impact other people's lives. It's easy to do, isn't it, church? All the responsibilities that you have, all the things you have to do, all the things you have to tend to. But just like with your walk with God, one thing is needed. The most important thing today and tomorrow is that if God has an assignment for you, you're not so busy you can't pick up on it, wherever that might be gas station, work, you know, in church, wherever you happen to be, the assignments are, are there. And he is talking. It's just we're we're so wrapped up in ourselves we can't be bothered to release the contents of what's on the inside of us on a regular basis. That's got to change. Look at somebody and say, let's lose the selfishness. Does that make sense? Because uh, any anyone tomorrow in this building, God could speak to and you could just release your faith administer somebody and their whole world changes I mean you're thinking about what to buy at the store or thinking about gassing the car up or thinking about a problem at work or thinking about an issue in your family whatever it is their whole world can be transformed they can receive what you have just because you were sensitive to know about it second thing is, is strife and, you know I really probably shouldn't have to talk about this um I can't even remember how many times I've said the word strife and offense in this church. Uh, look at somebody and say, we're well trained. But the bottom line is our faith doesn't work without love. Faith worketh by love. It's energized, it's operative by love, and you go into strife or offense, you come out of love, that's the end of whatever's on the inside of you coming out. Does that mean you're going to hell? No, but it sure doesn't mean. it sure means you can't be a tool to get other people out of hell. And that's pretty sad, too, when you think about it. A lot of people that God has a call in their life, God has a plan for them, God wants to use them, He's got strategic, you know, designed assignments, He's got appointments for them, but they keep getting into strife and offense and yielding to that. Whatever's on the inside of them, you know, no longer takes the precedent. In other words, when I I yield to that, I'm supposed to be living a life in the Spirit. Watch this. Get up, praying in the Holy Ghost, listening to God. I'm in the Word. I'm ready to do what He tells me to do. And here comes the opportunity for strife. Just like that, I've moved from the spirit realm into the soulless realm. And my day is dominated by what they did to me and how I feel here. And I'm now doing what? Spending all of my time pandering and trying to protect this thing instead of letting the Lord minister in me and through me. Now, what's the antidote for it? Forgiveness. Releasing people as you have been released. Let me ask you, let me put you this way. How am you glad the Lord doesn't have a problem of being soulish when it comes to what we've done wrong? Where would we be if all he did was meditate on what we did? Point to somebody and say, what you did. But No. He consciously chooses to forgive and release and restore. And that's the way we should be with other people. Because I promise you this, no matter what somebody did or said about you, is nothing compared to what you did or said towards the Lord. Yes. Right, amen. Somebody could can, can nail you every single day of the rest of your life for too terrible and it will never catch up to what you've already done to hurt the heart of God. Right. We want all the grace and mercy from God for ourselves. But we're not so quick to give it to other people. Well, if you're interested in being the well, and say, me too. I'm interested in being that well. I don't have time for this. Because you'd be amazed how many Christians will be given an assignment to minister to somebody, even in a life and death situation. And because they're capped, their well is capped, they have nothing to offer. And those same people walk out the door and say, God, I don't understand why you did this. Let me I explain this to you. God is blamed for a lot of things he had nothing to do with. Whatever we bind on earth is what? Bound in heaven. What it literally means is whatever we allow on earth is allowed in heaven. There's more to you and me than meets the eye in terms of our authority as believers. And one of the things we've got to watch is this propensity to get into strife. And usually it's just nonsense, it's stupidity. And the devil's constantly talking to people, lying to people, and just you know, giving them that temptation. It's the same old thing. Now it's not an apple or a pomegranate, it's a fence. It's the greatest temptation in the Christian's life. Let me say it again. It's the greatest temptation in the Christian's life to get offended, to get put out, to get into strife. Get into strife, walk right out of the anointing. Now you're bound to be natural just like everybody else. And what's really sad is because you're not walking in the spirit, but walking in the soulless realm, you won't even pick up on those urgings from the Holy Ghost. Who knows how many assignments you'll miss. What did you miss? What warning signs did you miss because you were cultivating and protecting strife? And in the body of Christ, it's not even enough for us to get strife. We like to share it with others. Let me put you this way we like to infect others. Back up and think where did that start from? And that person did you the biggest disservice of your life. Huh? It's far more deadly than COVID will ever be. It's separated, you know, countless people from their destiny. And brothers from brothers and sisters from sisters, it has separated people from their divine destiny. Amen? And the Bible says if that, the, the bitter root grows up, what happens when it grows up? It defiles many. Now, the context tonight is it, it will cap your wealth. And it will stay capped until you repent of that and let that go. Turn to somebody and say, I love you, but you're not worth the anointing. Come on, say it, I choose the anointing. Come on, say it, boldly, I choose the anointing. You know, I need it, and people need it to flow through me and you. Amen. Sin as a third cap or factor. Um, That just means that we're in open defiance to the revealed Word of God to our lives. But it also means having a sin consciousness about you. Instead of that sin consciousness being pushed out and a righteousness mentality being placed there in its place. You and I are not old dog sinners saved by grace anymore. We're now the righteousness of God in Christ. So if you're in open defiance to some aspect of the Word of God and you've you got some little pet sin, a little thing that you're involved in or something you won't give up and you know it's wrong, that's going to cap that well. But it's also true that you could be walking very holy right now and pure and separated and the devil keeps condemning you because you will not push out that, that uh, sin consciousness and let the righteousness mentality renew your mind. You can walk around just as defeated and powerless as the person who's in open sin. Do you see this? The open sinner, but also the one that has not learned to renew their mind to the righteousness of God, that God has made us. Do you believe that? God has made you righteous. How do you know if God makes you something, you are what he made? If God had, had a sense of humor tonight, you wanted to mess with us, I'm glad he doesn't do stupid stuff. But if you want to come in here and you want to make Charlie a horse, guess what? He's a Charlie horse. There's no question about it. He is going to be a horse named Charlie. And there's not a thing you and I can do about it. He spoke the world into existence. Amen. That's right. If he went back there and told Bill, you're a billy goat, guess what? He is now a billy goat. That's going to happen. And we get that. That's God. He can do anything. But when he makes you righteous... The flesh, you know, rears up against that and says, "Why, well, I'm not righteous because having, I'm not perfect." Has nothing to do with your perfection. Has to do with His perfection. If God made Billy a Billy goat and Charlie a Charlie horse, and He made you righteous, guess what? You're righteous. Said, "I was made righteous." And this is one of the reasons why kids go to youth camp all over the country, and every summer they get saved all over again. Because they have no revelation of righteousness. So yes, if somebody is in sin, it's going to cap the lid. But if somebody walks around with sin consciousness, it's going to cap that lid as well. Say it with me, selfishness, strive, Strive. sin, Sin. and shame. Here's the fourth one. This is the one that uh, God is really wanting us to be mindful of. Say it again, I'm not ashamed of the gospel said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That means you're not ashamed of anything the word says, any promise, any spirituality, any aspect, you're not ashamed of who we're supposed to be. Amen. Um, I understand the dynamic. I was raised Lutheran. Amen. We, we've never been real good dancers. Um, probably will never be the most demonstrative people in terms of, of worship. But I mean, you know God is looking at your heart anyway. When I first came into this church as a uh, as a college student, and and Steve, we were on 16th in Glendale. That's where the building was. That's where we worshipped in. We had a song leader and a guy on the organ. And uh, you remember Cook? He had bongos. And bongos. He sat in the front row playing the bongos. Now I'm walking out of the Lutheran experience. Lutherans don't do bongos. my last church service was in Charleston, South Carolina, where I transferred from. And I was in one of, those, one of the oldest Lutheran churches in the country. German services, English services, liturgy high church, beautiful altar. I mean, immaculate, beautiful, beautiful. I'm talking about old world style of building from Europe, right there, sitting there in Charleston. That's the last service I was at. So I come to Murray State in Bongo's. And people are, and here's the other thing that struck me, people are actually singing. You could actually hear them singing. And, and, and clapping. Lutherans can't dance and they don't clap. It'll make a difference how good the song service was or how great the message was. No, 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 we don't, we don't do those things. We've, we have perfected the art. I'm talking about me, my experience, how we were, us We perfected the art of looking dead in church. (laughs) You moved your mouth, but nothing came out. Because what? You were self-conscious about your spirituality. So you don't have to be spirit-filled to be self-conscious, to be shamed, see. Uh, You did not want to get too excited about the things of God. We go to youth conferences, and God would touch us there, but we didn't want to come back and be too religious because people make fun of you. One of my best friends, growing up, after I got born again and spirit filled right before I graduated high school, (laughs) I mean, looked at my brother and said, "He's seen the light." Well, the truth is, guess what? I had seen the light, and it separated me from that person to this day, because I was going down this path, and I was in no condition, no situation spiritually to be, you know, the priest of that person. I was a new convert. But, I mean, just like that, you immediately, been friends for a long time, boom, just like that, now I'm being mocked because I made a decision to serve God. Instead of go down the world's way and be like everybody else. Amen. It was real to me. And I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Three days later, there was a a party at the chief of police's house. (laughs) And he threw a kegger for the graduates. And you say, y'all drink what you want to, but if you leave the property, I'm going to throw you in jail. Well, that's nice of you. How about being the chief of police full time? Instead of aiding to the delinquency of all of us who were all underage because the drinking age was 21 in Illinois, not even 18, You understand what I'm saying to you. And I remember driving up in my very cool 1967 Cherry Red 351 Cleveland Mustang. Amen. My car spoke in tongues long before I ever did. You turn it on in the morning, the whole the whole town knew that I was up and going to school. It was powerful. It was a very fast car. Used to, my brother used to race it. Um, I just want to go from point A to point B, you know, and not look stupid doing it. And uh, I get out of my car, and then somebody hands me a little red ball cup, you know, with whatever it was in the keg, and I just held it like this. And I'm watching this whole thing play out. Now the difference is my eyes are opened. I'm seeing everything from the perspective of the Holy Spirit for the first time. I've been in church all my life. But how do you understand? Just because there's a mouse in the cookie jar doesn't make it a cookie. I would be the mouse in this story. And now my eyes are open. I can remember just like it was yesterday. That cup literally just slipped through my hand, hit the ground, spilled, and I just there like two or three minutes, just turned around and walked away. And that was me walking away from everything that that lifestyle was was all about. None of us, you know, were axe murderers and terrorists. But you understand what I'm saying to you. Once your eyes are opened, I'm glad he's opened up your eyes. That experience causes you to see things you never saw before. They were there the whole time. They were always there. So I walk into church with the bongos playing. Look at somebody and say, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel." Come on and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. Other them, that what? Believe. So do I have to be an active of belief so that power is not capped and released? Yes. And shame, according to what Paul said, is a very quick way to cap that thing in your life. Self-conscious. Ashamed. Don't want people to see me singing or actually acting like I got something out of some of those youth conferences I went to. But I'm looking at this and I'm, I see smiles on people's faces. I see their mouths moving and was coming out. Actually enjoy, look like they enjoyed being there. You know, we go to church for 45 minutes and we were so filled with joy when we left the church on a Sunday morning, not because it touched our hearts, but because we were dumb We could check it off the list and get on with our lives. That's truth. But these people actually look like they enjoy being there. And uh, the bongos are playing. And I remember thinking to myself, you ain't in Kansas anymore, are you, Dorothy? This is just, <laughs> this is just weird. I mean, and, and now, I mean, don't you enjoy the talent, the anointing among those that play instruments here and sing for us? How blessed we are. Doc Barkley vid- took to, uh, videos because wherever he goes around the, around the country, every week there's somebody who wants to be a prima donna. Look at me perform. Look how great I am. And they'll flail around on the platform, draw attention to themselves. And when he saw our people there, one accord, just worshiping God, only wanting God to be elevated, it touched his heart. And he pulled out his phone to record it. I have a sneaky suspicion he showed it to his people this past Sunday. Isn't that an awesome thing? Everybody say, I'm not ashamed. Say, I am not ashamed. Look at somebody say, me too. I'm not ashamed so, you know, a week or two went by by, you know, connected with some people from uh, college ministry, like Laura Berry and Susan and Mark Randall and a few others and started coming, enjoyed Brother Darrell, who was the pastor at that time. And um, I remember watching people, they would they'd raise their hands. I thought, okay, we got bongos, we got singing, we got hand raising. You know, at first I thought, is somebody holding up the church? Everybody's hands were like that. <laughs> you have to understand that there's no reference point for this in the denomination that I was raised in. And I think, thinking, what is, is this a stick-up? <laughs> and I thought, okay, well, you know, you learn by example. So weeks went by and uh, finally I thought, well, if they can raise their hands and worship God, I can do. And so, uh, doink, up with that hand. <laughs> Just like that. And I noticed nobody cared. Nobody looked at me. They couldn't care less because they were lost in worshiping God themselves. It wasn't about watching the new Lutheran guy, except Kelly, she was always watching me. <laughs> Isn't that right? Who's the new hot guy? That's what she said, yeah. <laughs> Delight yourself with the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. <laughs> that's tr- That's that's the truth. That's the truth. Hallelujah. And we're, we're both blessed having a great time serving God. Amen. I can't wait to see what God has next for us. But the people weren't concerned about this. So, you know, a few weeks later, I was just worshiping God. and went, doink, doink. <laughs> and most people think they haven't gotten much higher all these years. Do, do the Lutheran thing. But what was that all about? There's a, there's a level of shame associated with any kind of outward identification with Christ in worship and his people. And um, that same spirit is hovering over the spirit-filled church right now. Not necessarily when it comes to this. This is just an example. It could be anything in your life. But I'm talking about specifically in walking in and manifesting in the Pentecostal distinctions of the child of God. Tongues, spirit-filled life, praying for the sick and casting out devils and being bold when God needs people to be bold and picking up assignments and doing things and not being ashamed are concerned with what people think when you're doing it. That same spirit that kept my arms down, that same spirit that, you know, basically suppressed, you know, any demonstration of faith that was really in my heart at that time It's that same spirit that's very much alive today. It's shame. Shame is a painful feeling from consciousness of something we're led to believe is dishonorable, improper, or disgraceful. Some things, um, you know, uh, I'd say, you know, sometimes these are things that we're believing or things that we are are doing, but oftentimes there's such a self-consciousness about that that we think someone is disapproving of us. And what we're doing, and that has more weight with us than the God that approves of us. How many of you think it's more important to have God approve of you yes. than what people think about you? He wants to set the Spirit filled church free in America. That's right. Well, we're too busy becoming experts at suppressing the Holy Ghost. We want to have lights and smoke and, and contemporary worship, but we don't want the gifts. And we don't want tongues and interpretation. And we don't want prayer for the sick. And we don't want devils being cast out. And we don't want the dead being raised. We don't want all that stuff. We want to control everything. And listen, behind all of that control, whether it's coming from the pulpit or from the lay leadership, whatever it is, all that control is, is birth out of shame. And there are a lot of people that are attracted to it. I do not want to be a part of a shame-suppressed church. That's not my assignment. That's not your assignment. Amen. We have to be, you know, those believers on the edge right now. And you can't get there if you're ashamed. Say it, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Look, why should we be ashamed of what the Bible says we are? Or what we can do or what we can have? Say it with me. I am. Well, the Bible says I am. No shame. I'm a new creation. I am righteous. Amen. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm the head, not the tail. I'm blessed going in. I'm favored of God. You see what I'm saying to you? People are ashamed of that, and that shame blocks the manifestation of the things associated, the power to bring those things to pass in your life. I can do what the Bible says I can do. I can lay my hands on the sick and they'll recover. I can cast out devils. I can raise the dead. I can see people go free. I can be used in the gifts of the Spirit. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Come on, say it. I can do what the Bible says I can can do. But if shame comes in and suppresses that, you never will. I'm telling you, that that demon is alive and well in the Spirit-filled church. Amen. Especially in... uh, in you know, contrast to some of these other things, a lot of people are caught in the sin trap and caught in the strife trap and you know, they're, they're caught in the selfishness trap. Could you imagine getting out of all of that and still being ashamed of the gospel? It's possible. Yes, it is. I can have what the Bible says so I can have. Watch this. Well, I believe this, but I won't believe that. I, I, I would never want to be one of those guys that the Lord instructs to believe for a jet because I don't want the persecution that comes with that. What, what the people say about those people and the horrible things and how they're treated, I don't ever go through that. You see, like there's a shame associated with you actually believing God for something to advance the kingdom of God. You believing God for anything He said in this word is not cause for shame. Yeah. But there's the pressure to be ashamed of being a person that believes in the abundance of God, the provision of God. Shame you for daring to believe those things. You know, with so many people in the world suffering. They'll be suffering if you don't believe. Like you believing God for the promises of God is going to cause someone else to suffer. That's, that's ridiculous. Jesus said, the poor will what? Always be among you. Yea, all those that live a godly life in Christ. Jesus, what? Shall be persecuted. But that doesn't mean you can't believe God for the extraordinary. But you'd be amazed how many people are absolutely con- concerned about being shamed, made fun of for what they dare to believe they are. Or Roberts used to say in his broadcast, I guess something good's gonna happen to you today. You know, they persecuted him because he dared say God wanted to do something good in their lives. How many you glad you got the nature of God down as a good God? It's in here now. Right? People criticizing them. Well, one person said he shouldn't say that. And one of his spiritual sons says, why not? Because you're going to give them the wrong idea about God. The wrong idea about God? Do you see how twisted that is? That somehow he is the torturer of his covenant people? No, he's not. He's a good God. I can do what the Bible says I can do. You can operate in the gifts of the Spirit. You can operate in the power of God. And there will be people that are try to suppress that with shame. Listen, you don't respond to it anymore. Come on, say, "I am delivered from shame in Jesus' name." You're listen. You believing God for something relational, physical, in your occupation, in your job, in your finances, in any category of life—that's between you and God. That's based on your believing and your sowing, and no one has a right to judge you believing God when the Bible says you can have something. But you'd be amazed how many people will not openly, and actively believe God for things because they're ashamed of what other people will think. I tell you, until you get delivered from people, you can't get people delivered. You just can't. Say, so I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God under salvation, under soundness, wholeness in every area of life to them that believe. But shame of any dimension of that will shut you down. You won't be able to believe for your own situation, let alone believe for somebody else. I think about Smith Wigglesworth, I think about a man with absolutely no shame. Didn't care. He was called in to pray for a royal. Invited into her great room. She stood to greet him. He was respectful. And then he proceeded to ball his hand into a fist and punched her right in the stomach. You can imagine if you were there as part of the family or her entourage, what you thought right then. Film at 11. You know, wacko spirit filled minister strikes, you know, so and so, film at 11. But you know what happened instead? She was instantly healed. I'm not recommending you do that. Um, yeah, and if, and if you're going to spit on somebody's tongue, you better have the goods to back it up. You're going to have a very short spit ministry. You understand what I'm saying to you? You're, you're going to be sitting on a shelf real quickly. Well, my point is he was, he was just without shame. You know, he could have said, all my life, you know, I lived under that body. Now that I'm born again, Spirit-filled, I'm just going to do what the Lord wants me to do. Some people are ashamed to openly read their Bible at work or in a public place. Everywhere he went, he had that book in his face. He's still on a train just reading the Word of God, reading the Word of God. He wouldn't even have to say anything to anybody. People in an adjacent car would fall down on their faces, bawling like a baby, asking for God's mercy and for the man of God to lead him to the throne. Didn't say anything. But how many people are self-conscious about that? How many people are self-conscious about giving God praise for food that you receive? I don't mean you have to stop at the table and pray for every missionary that ever served in the kingdom of God or turn into a prayer be, but just thanking God and being thankful. You know, where you're not afraid for people to hear you say praise God or thank you Jesus or to pray for people or to step out there in boldness. That's what we're talking about. Everybody say Shame. Um, come on, say "Me me too. He had the same Holy Ghost. Oh, he had a special dispensation. Lie from the pit of hell. Or Roberts was special. Lie from the pit of hell. The suppressed church wants to believe that these are special people. Watch this. I'm not saying they're not great people. But the the devil wants you to believe there are special cases so that you and I can, can remain in spiritual mediocrity. Look at somebody and say, I'm not going to do that. same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead operated in them. They just learned how to uncap it. You see this? God loves them no more than he loves you. And I don't know if you've been noticing, but we've lost dozens of generals in the past 15, 20 years, I'm telling you, a huge leadership deficit throughout the body of Christ, regardless of denomination, great men and women of God, gone, we better get our act together, amen, and step into being what God wants us to be, amen. Oh, Oral's special, and is special, and Catherine Coleman was special, we do that so we can just sit back, you know, in our performance, our Christianity while they do everything. And we can applaud and we can give and we can pray and then make all kinds of excuses as to why we're not walking in that power. And yet, even though we're sitting there making those excuses, the same power is in us right now. I want you to remember that. Wherever you go, whatever you do or don't do, the same power is in you. It will be there for all eternity. It's in you. How fast did the devil unleash shame on the church? Instantly. Go to Acts chapter 2 and look at this. i will just kind of unplug here. I learned something very valuable from, uh, you know, Brother Hagin's ministry through the years, and uh, that was that he never got uptight about finishing anything. He would just unplug and start where he was last time. That's how you end up with 45-part message series. Yes, should do. You know? Um It's more important to get something. Say it with me, shame. Shame shame will will absolutely cap our well and suppress what's on the inside of us. Say it with me. I'm delivered from it in Jesus' name. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Who's in one place? Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. This is the prophetic fulfillment of what Jesus said in John chapter 7 and Acts chapter 1. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. There's open visions going on here. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So what happens when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit? Point one, these people are all saved already. The saved are gathering in the upper room. Point two, the Spirit of God came on all of them. And they what? They all spoke in tongues. I'm, I am not the apologist for the Pentecostal doctrine on tongues. I'm just telling you biblically the way it is, the pattern in Scripture is when you receive the Holy Ghost, you receive the devotional gift of tongues. The corporate use of tongues and in interpretation is a different application of the body of Christ altogether. But watch this. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Now what a lot of people interpret this to mean is they were all speaking natural languages. Not necessarily true. What you're hearing in Scripture is a vocal miracle and what? A hearing miracle going on. In other words, they're speaking, but I'm hearing this. Why? They're, they're, they're testifying about the glory of God. And this happens to this day. Um, once when Doc Barkley was here, he talked about going to a mission field, and there was a, a girl that was chained to a tree. And uh, what he didn't know is the tongues that he started speaking and right then and there praying over her was language she understood. Now, his testimony is, that's still my prayer language. He was speaking in his prayer language, but she was hearing what? Her native tongue about God loves you, God's got a plan for you. I want to say, and she got delivered that day off that tree. She was out of her mind. That's why she was chained to a tree, because she was out of her mind. She was crazy. There was a hairy miracle that took place. Is that a sign or a wonder? Yes, yes it is. When they heard the sound, the crowd came together. They said, utterly amazed, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? In other words, there's no reason for them to be able to speak a language that we can understand. You see this? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya. You think Americans, uh, the West thinks these people all speak the same language. They do not. And there are different dialects for languages that are very similar. Um, Parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. Now, God's able to do this any time. And God is able to come on you and speak a language you never learned. Anytime he needs you to do so, in addition to your prayer language. He's also able to cause people to hear in their native tongue what you're saying in your tongue. That's his ability. I mean, he is a supernatural God after all. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Now watch this. Here's how the shame gets gets engendered. There's the people that are amazed and perplexed, they're confused. And when people of natural thinking are amazed and perplexed, they go to the natural realm for understanding. You see this? Yeah. You and I can't let ourselves do that. Inside of you is the wisdom of God. He'll answer those questions if you'll just pray in the Holy Ghost and pray those mysteries. God will just begin to illuminate your mind to what you're actually receiving from the Spirit of God. What does this mean? Some, however, made what? Made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Now, they were probably drunk on the Holy Ghost, as you can imagine. It's a very real experience. It happened this particular day, and they could see behaviorally that this was true, and they heard all of the languages. But look what's going on here mocking, making fun of, shame. Immediately, immediately, when the people of God became wells, there came the shame. And the same thing is true today. People will roll their eyes, they'll keep you at a distance. They'll say, You go there. Come on, I'm preaching. Better y'all are looking at me right now. And if they don't, you're not doing it right. You're one of them. Yeah, I I speak in tongues. Secret agent tongue talker. Why? Because of shame. That puts the lid down on everything that's inside of you. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to mock you. They're going to say things. They're going to reject you. And you're going to be tempted to say, I need to just fall in line here and be a good little, what Dr. Barclay called a little placebo church Christian. and just exists until Jesus comes. And God's calling you out of that in Jesus' name. What's on the inside of you is no placebo. It's the real deal. Come on, shout it out. It's the real deal. And I'm going to let it out. So when you see this happening, shame is actually a manifestation of fear. Paul said this to his son in the faith, Timothy. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me as prisoner. Don't be ashamed of your camp. Don't be ashamed of your leaders. Don't be ashamed of your mentors. Own it. Be glad for it. I'm not saying be prideful. The church right now is not suffering from Pentecostal pride. It's suffering from Pentecostal neglect because of shame. 1 Corinthians 2.14, don't expect people to understand. The Bible says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And don't think because somebody is just born again, they're going to have necessarily a spiritual mind because they're not. They can be just as carnal as everybody else in their thinking. Amen. Luke nine twenty six, say it, shame is a manifestation of fear. When you unplug from faith and into fear, you have all kinds of issues come at you. Luke nine twenty six, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. It's not just being ashamed of him, but it's being ashamed of what he has said and it's being ashamed of what he has given. According to Jesus, who gave the gift? The Father. I wouldn't want anybody to know that I'm one of them. Really, you're going to be ashamed of the Father. If your natural dad gave you the keys to a brand new car on your 16th birthday, how many are you going to hide it in the closet, put it in the garage? You're going to drive that thing to school. Look what my daddy has done for me. But not in the modern church. Got to, got to hide this. Got to be ashamed of this. Wait for the gift my Father promised. For in many days, what? In a few days, you're going to be baptized. What? Not with water, but with what? With the Holy Ghost and with fire. And oh, oh, somebody may not like that, or they, will be offended by that, or put off by. I got to, I got to hide that. Do you know that there are there are secret Pentecostals in every mainline church in town? You want to know why they go there? Because they're ashamed to associate with you. Did I just say that? I think I just said that. Yeah. They don't choose a church based on spirituality and their experience in terms of the things of God It's based on who could build my business and what's the most socially acceptable place to be, what's the least controversial place to be. Amen. I'll say this publicly. That's why I appreciate people like Paul Foote. It's a big deal. Yeah. Being an academic who just loves Jesus enough just to be what God's called him to be and let his light shine. And if you knew some of the people he works with and worked with, you would say that is pretty remarkable. Amen. (laughs) Wherever you are, not to take that light and put a bushel over it's a gift from God. What would your father give you for your 16th birthday? He gave me, he gave me a new car, but don't tell anybody. I'm going to leave it in the garage because, you know, I'm ashamed. I mean, you know, what the father gave us when we were baptized in the Holy Ghost was far more valuable than any car or natural thing we could possibly have. Let me just wrap this up for you. Shame separates us from God. Watch this, his orders and his power. Shame separates you from God, his orders, and his power. So I'm not fellowshipping with him because I'm ashamed. I'm not picking up his orders because I'm ashamed, and I'm not going to demonstrate his power because I'm ashamed. Shame is more concerned with what others think than what God thinks about us. Proverbs 49.25, the fear of human opinion disables. The fear of what? Of human opinion disables, trusting in God protects you from that. Psalm 119.46 says this, I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame. Wherever I go, he sends me, I am not going to be ashamed of these things. Now, years ago, I think Ralph Duncan was at Mayfield and somebody got all excited over the revival and the personal prophecies and the genuine things God was doing. Somebody from that church went over to Sonic and thought they had ordered their meal in tongues over the speaker. Look at some, I say, not cool. That's not spiritual, that's just stupid. Now, if I were on the other end of that, I'd like to have some fun with that. So you order two cheese conies with onions, right? <laughs> <laughs> or, or speak back at them. <laughs> uh, we're not talking about stupidity, but we're talking about not being ashamed of what you have. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet for just a moment. And just give the Lord glory and give him praise and give him honor. Thank you, Father.